Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 819 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just want to thank you guys, as always, for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, and we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off your first purchase. And like I said, we're basically just going to jump right into it here, mention a couple of players who just didn't perform well enough, you know, and obviously, look, it's a team effort. I'm not just trying to throw these players under the bus, but uh, certainly I think a lot of Ranger fans were expecting more uh, from most, if not all, of the players that I'm going to mention here. And then at the end of the episode, going to turn the spotlight towards some players that actually, you know, played fairly well, relatively speaking, in some cases, just basically comparing them to their teammates. But we're going to start this list with Alexi Lafreniere, who did Nothing in this series. He almost literally did nothing. He had zero goals, zero assists, was an even plus minus, uh, nine shots on goal. Didn't come close to scoring on any occasion that I can remember. I know, I want to say in game three or four, one of those, he had a two-on-one. He took a shot, but the glove save was made. And there was another instance in game three in overtime where there was kind of a scramble in front of the devil's net. And Lafreniere was out there and um, the kid line was out there. And uh, he was among several players that were in the crease there. But I mean, other than that, I can't name a single thing that Alexi Lafreniere did during this series. And something that this series kind of pointed a spotlight at something that I think we are all, all already knew was kind of a truth, but now it's it's basically undeniable, and it was right there for the entire hockey world to see. There is an enormous difference right now between uh, most of the young players on the Devils and most of the young players on the New York Rangers, and specifically, an enormous difference between Jack Hughes and Alexi Lafreniere. The uh, two number one picks in back-to-back seasons. First, of course, Hughes goes to the Devils. Then the next year, Alexi Lafreniere goes to the Rangers. They're not even in the same stratosphere. Uh, Shooting, passing, skating, it's all very much in the favor of Jack Hughes. You can look at the stats. You can look at the eye test. Hughes looks every bit the part of a budding superstar. And honestly, he's probably already a superstar. I think he can go that far as to say it. At the very least, a top 20 player in this league. I would say probably more like top 10 at this point. He just had an excellent breakout season. And if he's not top 10, uh, he will be in the very, very uh, not too distant future. Um, For Lafreniere, you know, it it just hasn't come together. I I do think there's been a steady improvement from Lafreniere and the rest of the other kids, uh, you know, as the seasons have gone by here. I shouldn't even call it a steady improvement. There's been a very gradual improvement. This was year three for Lafreniere. I think he's gotten at least a little bit better from one season to the next. But one area where he took a huge step back was playoffs. The kid line had a nice run together in last year's postseason, and obviously it just never came together here. And getting back to the Hughes and Lafreniere comparison, with Hughes, you could believe that he one day will be the best player in the NHL. Now, obviously, right now, that distinction pretty clearly goes to Connor McDavid. So uh, given that, you know, McDavid's on a level all by himself right now, it might be a situation where Hughes can't be the best player in the league until McDavid either retires or, you know, gets pretty old, gets into his late 30s there. But at a certain point, it's not that hard to believe and it's not that far-fetched that Jack Hughes could be, you know, the the best player in the NHL. Does anybody look at Alexi Lafreniere right now? And I realize uh, he's young, only three years in the league. 
Does anybody look at him and think that he's going to be the best player in the NHL based on what he's shown us uh, so far in his NHL career? And, you know, with Lafreniere, there's always going to be people that say things like, you know, uh, it's because he's not in the top six. It's because he doesn't get enough time on the power play. Uh, he doesn't have the right line mates. He doesn't get enough ice time. All those things might be true to a certain extent. But, you know, with Alexi Lafreniere, if this guy was, you know, as much of a phenom as we were all told that he was, everybody said he was generational talent. This is not me talking about. This is the scouts. Everybody called him a generational talent, the best player to be available in an NHL draft since Sidney Crosby. And you would think that, you know, limited ice time or not enough time on the power play or, you know, some people say Gerard Gallant isn't the right coach for, you know, some of the younger players on the Rangers. Even if all those things are true, if Lafreniere was uh, as, as good as he was billed to be, then he'd be able to overcome all those things and still become, you know, a, a big-time, very relevant player in this league. As it is right now, uh, him, and you could throw Kako in there too, uh, they're basically just third-line forwards. And for, for that, they're fine. You know, if, if you're just looking for third-line production, I mean, they're, they're okay there. But, you know, Lafreniere's the guy that went number one overall. Kako the year before that, the guy that went number two overall. And, again, nearly all the Devils forwards, you can look at Hughes, Heischer, Bratt, Mercer, uh, most of them look to be ahead of the young Ranger forwards, Lafreniere, Kako, and Hedl. And again, I think that was really on display, um, certainly throughout the regular season. And, you know, it's not like the Devils' young forwards completely dominated, completely took over. I think some of them had quiet series. But when you look at the entire body of work, you know, from the regular season this year, you combine everything. You take the regular season, you take the playoffs. Uh, a lot of those players, not all of them, but a lot of those players in the Devils are ahead of a lot of the young players on the New York Rangers. Now, the good news here is that for those Devils players, some of them that I just mentioned, it took them a while to get going. You know, Jack Hughes didn't really take off until year three after some pretty mediocre first two seasons. Um, Heischer and Bratt, they're a little bit older than some of the young forwards on the Rangers. Uh, they're both 24 right now. And it wasn't until this year or maybe a little bit last year that those two kind of came into their own. So there is still time uh, for the Rangers forwards, these young forwards, Hedl, Lafreniere, and Kako, to really come into their own. And, of course, Hedl had a little bit of a breakout season this year. But I don't think it's unfair and, you know, we're focusing specifically on Alexi Lafreniere here. But as you guys can tell, I've kind of opened it up to all the young players, all the young forwards on the New York Rangers. And I don't think it's unfair for Ranger fans to expect Alexi Lafreniere in year three here, after a good playoff run last year, to be a little bit more visible, to have more points than zero, and to just, you know, look like he he's ready for prime time. And in this series, uh, he did very little. It was hard to even know that he was out there. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening there. Um, but as I said, you know, right now, uh, the good news, once again, all three of them, Hedl, Kako, Lafreniere, all still very young. I don't think we've seen the absolute best out of all of them. And again, as I mentioned a second ago, I do think that all of them have improved. They've just done so very, very gradually as the seasons have progressed here. And of course, with Hedl, um, you know, maybe, you know, Lafreniere, Kako, they can have a Hedl-type jump next season. It's not like Hedl set the world on fire this year, but he had a very good season, hit 20 goals for the first time, got the long-term extension, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And I don't think the Rangers would trade a Kako or a Lafreniere. I know some people think heads are going to roll and you know the Rangers are going to you know really shuffle the deck this offseason. That remains to be seen. It wouldn't shock me if that happened, but I would still bet against either, you know, Lafreniere or Kako uh, being moved um, in exchange for, you know, whatever, uh, another prospect, uh, draft pick, whatever it might be. Uh, but we shall see how that whole thing shakes out. But yeah, Lafreniere, uh, again, zero points after a good playoff showing last year. You thought he could build on that. You thought the kid line would be ready to roll. And uh, really, none of them did a whole lot in the playoffs. Uh, and, and Lafreniere stands out more than any of them in particular because he was the least noticeable of the three. And also because unlike the other two, he had zero points. 
So we're going to keep everything rolling in just a second. I mean, again, you know, we talked about Panarin yesterday. We're talking about Lafreniere now. We're going to talk about a couple other players, including Patrick Kane, in just a second here. And again, I want to emphasize they are not alone. I don't think a single player on the Rangers played as well as he possibly could have in this series, with the one exception potentially being Igor Shesterkin. Um, be that as it may, again, certain players stood out more than others, and uh, we will get to Patrick Kane in just a second. But first, we got to let everybody know that today's episode of Locked on New York Rangers is brought to you by Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun that you are about to have. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time is deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're all set. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNHL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKDOWNNHL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, we just want to thank you guys, as always, for making Lockdown New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And for the everydayers, uh, the Rangers, as I'm recording this right now, as we speak, the Rangers are having you know their exit interview day. Uh, Gerard Gallant's going to talk to the media. I'm sure all the players are going to talk to the media. And I'm sure that you know we'll get some uh, pretty good talking points coming out of that. It's going to be very curious to see uh, you know what the impending free agents who expresses interest in sticking around and maybe who wants to move on and uh, just some other things as well. I'm sure it's going to be an, an interesting day. I already saw a couple of quotes on Twitter. And like I said, that will be tomorrow's episode. Uh, basically just going to uh, go over everything that was said, you know, everything that was notable and uh, share my thoughts on that. So definitely looking forward to that. But for right now, let's turn our attention back uh, to Really, what is going to be the final episode of Locked on New York Rangers that discusses the Rangers postseason performance? I mean, there might be times where we hearken back to it and mention something that happened in this series. But for the most part, uh, in our next episode, going to be turning the page and uh, looking at exit interview day or whatever you want to call it. But as far as other players who just didn't really get it done in the playoffs, I'm going to go with Patrick Kane. And look, I already know what the Kane defenders are going to say. You know, he was third on the team. He had six points, you know, one goal and five assists in the playoffs. Uh, he also has a bad hip. As far as the bad hip goes, look, if he was really hurting, then props to Patrick Kane for gutting it out and trying to go out there and give everything that he could. Um, for all I know, Patrick Kane might have been in uh, ungodly, excruciating agony throughout this entire playoff series and just bit his lip and went out there and, uh, you know, tried to do everything that he could to help this team. Uh, I don't know that for sure. Maybe if I had the same injury that Patrick Kane had, maybe I wouldn't even be, be able to get out of bed. You know what I mean? So I don't know for sure. Um, but the bottom line, Patrick Kane in this playoff series, despite, you know, getting a decent amount of points, I just don't think uh, that he was ever at his best. And there were some miscues from Patrick Kane that really had little to nothing to do with, you know, having a bad hip. There, there were issues where uh, Kane would turn over the puck and it would lead to a rush the opposite way. Uh, there were a couple instances, at least once or twice, where uh, he left a drop pass to nobody and the devil skated away with it. Um, there's times where 
he he didn't do this as much in the playoffs as I think he did in the regular season with the Rangers, but I do think there were times where maybe he could have pulled the trigger with a shot and did not do it. Uh, power play, you know, included in that. Um, and there was a play in Game 7 where, you know, it's still anybody's game. I want to say the Rangers were down one nothing at this point, maybe 2-0. Um, but the puck was loose in the crease, and Kane gets to it. The devil's crease, that is. And instead of, like, going in there with some ferocity and, man, I'm, I'm just going to stuff this puck into the net, you know, just very timid. He just kind of glided up to it, uh, tried to play it, you know, backhand, forehand kind of deal. You know, just go up there and, and just try to jam the puck into the net if you can. I, I realize it doesn't do any good just stuffing it into the goalie's pads, but I don't know. I just didn't see enough assertiveness from Patrick Kane on that play, and that was kind of a microcosm of his Ranger tenure. They're just... He didn't carry himself with the kind of bluster, the kind of confidence, the kind of swagger that you you would expect from Patrick Kane, that you'd expect from an all-time great, possibly the greatest uh, American-born player of all time. And, and something always just felt a little bit off after he became a New York Ranger. It, it's tough to explain. It's tough to describe. But I feel like other players that have come to the Rangers at the trade deadline these past couple of seasons, they come over and they fit in not just with the style of play, but they fit in with the culture. You know, Vladimir Tarasenko, I mean, I, I thought he immediately, you know, became pretty good friends with, uh, you know, his new teammates that they seem to really embrace him. Tyler Mott this year and last year at the trade deadline, his teammates seemed to really like him. Uh, Andrew Kopp last year when he was brought over in the trade, uh, to use him as an example, I mean, he looked like he was having a reunion with, with a bunch of his best friends that he hadn't seen in forever. And I have to assume uh, he didn't know that many players in the Rangers all that well. I mean, him and Jacob Truber are buddies. But other than that, I mean, it, it's not like he knows every single one of these players. With Patrick Kane, something just felt a little bit off. And you watch him, every time they showed a shot of him on the bench, he's just staring straight ahead, not talking to anybody, just not looking, and I, I don't want to be, you know, a body language doctor or anything like that, but again, just not carrying himself the way that you expect uh, an, a player of his stature to carry himself, and that was on display, and look, I don't know if there were any issues of any kind. Did the Rangers, did their players not want him there for some reason? Did they resent him because they had to play shorthanded for a handful of of games. If that's the case, I think the Ranger players need to get over it and move forward and, and go try to win a Stanley Cup. Um, but something just felt a little off. Something never quite clicked between Patrick Kane and his new Ranger teammates. That was true in the regular season. I think it was a little bit true uh, in the playoffs as well. So that's Patrick Kane. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll see if he's back with the Rangers next season. If I had to bet on it, I would say probably not. I would think probably what's going to happen is the four players that were picked up uh, at or near the trade deadline. I would think you know, maybe one of them is back. I don't think any more than one is possibly going to be back with this team. It's just going to cost too much money, and the Rangers have some salary cap issues. Um, but I would imagine that all four of them probably walk in free agency. But that's a different topic for a future episode that we will definitely get to. Uh, as far as another player who you know, just didn't get the job done in the playoffs, I got to go with Vincent Trocek because, my God, what a nothing series this was uh, for Vincent Trocek. One goal in the seven games, zero assists. He was an even plus minus. Uh, him and Panarin obviously could not get anything happening. They were together for the majority of the playoff series. And Trocek succeeded at just a 47.17% clip on the face-off circle. Now, I realize seven games when it comes to face-offs is a very, very limited sample size, but that is one of the things that Vincent Trocek is supposed to bring to the table, and he was dominant on the face-off circle in the regular season. In the regular season, he had a career-best uh, face-off winning percentage of 56.1%. Gets to the playoffs, all of a sudden, uh, he can't win a draw. I shouldn't say he can't win a draw, but he wins fewer than half of his draws, and 
He's the guy that the Rangers were counting on to win those important faceoffs in the playoffs, just was not able to do it. And interestingly, uh, Philip Heedle was around 60% success rate for the Rangers uh, on the faceoff circle in the playoffs. And he was far and away the worst face-off center that the Rangers had in the regular season. Nobody else uh, was even at 50%, but that was disappointing to see Trocek not be able to carry over that dominance uh, in the face-off circle that he had in the regular season into the playoffs. Uh, beyond that, just very few chances for Trocek offensively. You know, there were times where I thought he looked okay. I thought his zone entries were better than a lot of other players on the Rangers. He, he is a good puck handler. Um, the second power play unit was a complete disaster, and uh, that's not all on Vincent Trocek, but he was out there on the second unit uh, for the entire playoff run there, and uh, they didn't do anything to even come close to scoring or creating any scoring opportunities that I can remember. You guys can let me know if I was wrong. Maybe in one of those first two games, maybe the second unit had a power play goal, but I'm not remembering it off the top of my head here, and in general, the second power play unit, which included Vincent Trocek, was not good. Uh, Trocek did have what we thought was a really big goal in game four. That tied the game at one-to-one early in the third period, but uh, the Rangers just really never took off after that. They'd never really stepped in the gas, and uh, they, the Rangers lose that game. It's two-to-two two after that, and beyond, you know, all this stuff that we're talking about, some intangible things. Where was the chatty, chirpy, get-in-your-face Vincent Trocek? I mean, this guy, last year, when the Rangers played the Canes, and of course, Trocek was on the Canes at that time, uh, he he never stopped yapping. He was always in somebody's face after the whistle, always in the middle of everything, and I realized, you know, you can't take a dumb penalty, which he did at least twice in this series, by the way, uh, early in Game 1, and then also... Uh, you know, the, the thing where he hit Miller, uh, Miller, yeah, he hit Meyer in the face during a play stoppage. Um, not ideal. And, and you know, Trocek, he's got to be better than this. And you know, to, to kind of look at the big picture here, if we're being honest, uh, Trocek has never really been that much of a playoff performer for his career. Uh, in his career, 40 Stanley Cup playoff games, nine goals and eight assists in those games. Uh, last year was really his only really, really good playoff showing. His final season with the Canes. During that run, uh, 14 games with Carolina had six goals and four assists. Uh, but the year before that, Trocek had only three points in nine games. The year before that, only two points in eight games. And then there was the one season that he made the playoffs as a member of the Florida Panthers, uh, one point in two games. So I hope this isn't a trend, you know, because Vincent Trocek, he's going to be here a while. He's got six years left on his contract at $5.625 million per season. For right now, he's got a full no-move clause. Uh, it becomes a modified no-move clause, not next season and not the season after that, but the season after that. And look, I still like the Vincent Trocek pickup. I, I know there's a lot of people on social media right now that are, oh my God, why do we have this guy? What a disaster. What an albatross of a contract. I think there's a lot of people looking at you know the, the contract extension that Philip Hedl received, and they think kind of like, well, you know, Philip Hedl could be the second line center and we don't even need Trocek and we could use the Trocek money to re-sign Tarasenko. I get that line of thinking. I get where you're coming from, but I do feel like coming into this season, the Rangers needed another good center. They needed another top six center. And really, I mean, if you wanted, you know, somebody that's solid, somebody that's steady, you had three choices. We've been through this. Trocek, Cop, or Strom. Those were your choices. I think the Rangers made the right move uh, going with Trocek. But to come into this season with Philip Hedl as your number two center, that would have been a pretty big leap of faith because Philip Hedl, I know he was good in the playoffs last year, disappointing regular season last year, and has never really taken off. You know, he's been a very streaky player. He gets hot at times, but has never really put it all together until this season when he had the 20-goal season. And look, I mean— it's not the worst thing in the world to have three good centers, three centers that you can rely on. Mika, uh, and now Trocek, and now Hedl. You got to feel pretty good about all three of those players going into the next season. I know none of them really played well in the playoffs, but 
Nobody on this Ranger team played well in the playoffs other than Igor Shesterkin and maybe a couple of honorable mentions that we'll get to uh, a little bit later in today's episode. Um, and speaking of Igor Shesterkin, we're actually going to turn the page to him in just a second here. Uh, first, though, uh, we got to let everybody know once again that today's episode of Locked On Rangers is indeed brought to you by Game Time. And we will be right back in just a second. I'm going to talk about Igor Shesterkin, a couple of other Rangers that we'll give an honorable mention to as having you know decent showings in the playoffs uh, through these seven games here. And we will do all that good stuff in just a second. All right, so Igor Shesterkin. Igor was awesome, put the team on his back as much as he could. After Game 7, uh, which the Rangers obviously lost 4 nothing, got eliminated, Igor Shesterkin now alone in third place all time for most consecutive playoff games, allowing three goals or fewer. Uh, the Devils got four goals in Game 7, but... You know, only three of them were against Igor. The fourth one was when the net was empty. Uh, but Igor, you know, he kept the Rangers in these games, especially the ones that they no-showed. I mean, I can't believe I'm even saying this. We're, we're in a situation here where I'm talking about how the Rangers no-showed multiple playoff games, which is exactly what they did. And again, credit to the Devils. They played well. And, you know, there's times where if your opponent's playing really great, it can make you look bad. But I do think, I genuinely believe, the Ranger effort was lacking in certain instances in this series. And that includes Game 7. And what I just said about Igor was also true uh, in Game 7. I, I thought he did a great job keeping the Rangers in the game, especially in the first period. A couple of nice uh, kick saves by Igor, you know, fighting off a couple of tough shots. So, yeah, I mean, he... he pretty much was far and away uh, the best player on the New York Rangers. That's the best way that I can put it. And I, I think the other thing that's really nice about Igor Shesterkin coming out of this series, we can now look at Igor and know beyond any shadow of a doubt, whatever small little microcosm of a doubt might have been remaining, I think we can now for sure say that this guy is a big-time goalie. When you take a look at what he did last year in the Stanley Cup playoffs, how important he was uh, to the Rangers making the deep run that they made, and you look uh, at this series here against the Devils, high-scoring, high-power team, uh, a team with ridiculous amounts of speed, and the way he held them in check, the way he held most of their star players in check. Uh, yeah, Igor Shesterkin is a big-time goalie. He's not one of those guys that's going to be labeled as you know a great regular season player or a great regular season goalie or anything like that. Uh, this guy's even better in the playoffs than he is in the regular season, which is truly saying something when you consider that he won the Vezina last year and had another nice uh, regular season for himself this year as well. But to look at his career numbers in the playoffs, now up to... 28 Stanley Cup playoff games in his career. Uh, Igor in that time has a 245 goals against average and a 929 save percentage. And even though it was in fewer games, Igor was technically better in the playoffs this year than he was last year. Uh, this year, he had a 196 goals against average and a 931 save percentage. Your goalie allows less than two goals per game in a seven-game series, and you can't find a way to win that series, completely inexcusable. I'm getting mad all over again, you know? Maybe the anger's just hitting me now. I talked about in our last episode how I didn't really feel anything during and after this game, but man, I mean, you say that out loud, and you realize just how ridiculous it really is. Igor stopped more than 93% of the shots that he faced against the Devils. He allowed fewer than two goals per game against the Devils, and the Rangers can't find a way to score enough goals to get into the second round. Inexcusable, and um, yeah, Igor, like I said, what else is there to say? Far and away the best player for the New York Rangers in the playoffs. As far as other guys that, you know, I thought were at least okay, I mean, and that's, you know, that's so ridiculous too. That's what it's come to. I'm about to praise mediocrity here. I'm about to praise guys who did all right, who didn't hurt the team, who weren't liabilities. Uh, I, I would have to throw Barkley Goodrow out there. You know, I thought for the most part, he played his brand of hard-nosed hockey. Obviously, he only had the one goal, but he's playing on the fourth line. You're not expecting a ton of offensive fireworks. Um, but, you know, he had that fight in game five, 
took on Ball, who's a lot bigger than he is, was yelling at the bench, trying to snap everybody out of their collective coma in Game 5 there. Obviously didn't work, but Goodrow was all right. I thought Braden Schneider, you know, there was nothing that, like, tremendously stood out, but I thought for the most part he played physical in this series, probably one of the more physical players on the Rangers, and very encouraging that, um, you know, Schneider obviously got some playoff experience last year, gets some more playoff experience this year. Uh, he has never looked in the playoffs like he's overwhelmed or in over his head or anything like that. I do think Braden Schneider uh, still has room for improvement, but uh, I don't see how you can't be happy with Bra what Braden Schneider has given to this team in his first season and a half in the league and also what he's done in the playoffs in those two seasons as well. Uh, Tyler Mott, you know, working hard, drawing some penalties, going out there and grinding, uh, killing some penalties overall. You know, I thought he had a decent series. Uh, Chris Kreider, Kreider's a mixed bag. It's hard for me to sit here and say that Chris Kreider was bad in the playoffs when he had nine points in seven games and obviously led the Rangers um, in that department, the points department. But it was such a Jekyll and Hyde series for Chris Kreider. Obviously, he was outstanding in the first two games. I believe he had four power play goals in the first two games combined. Also scored in game three. Um, you know, it was very good in game six as well. I want to say he had three points, at least two points in game six off the top of my head here. Um, but, you know, we also got the disappearing act. And granted, again, the Rangers as a team were, you know, played poorly in games uh, four, five, and seven for sure. Um, but it's just so frustrating because Chris Kreider, it feels like he could be a truly elite player in this league and he just doesn't do it. He never takes uh, that jump. Obviously, last year, I think last year you'd have to say he was elite. I mean, the 52 goals alone pretty much means you're an elite player. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, there, there's just times where he's just not willing to stick in his nose the way that he should be able to. Uh, the guy is built like a tank. You know, use that to your advantage, please. I would just like to see more of that from Chris Kreider. And I, I said this, I, I think, in a recent episode. This series was kind of, in that way, a microcosm of Chris Kreider's career. He can be an absolute beast out there for which the opponents have absolutely no answer, or he can turn into a complete ghost. And when I say Kreider was like not noticeable in certain games or was a ghost in certain games, it's not just because he didn't have any points. That's going to happen to the best players in the league. Believe it or not, we'll use Connor McDavid, the most extreme example. There's been some games where he's held off the score sheet as well. Um, so it's not just that. It's just he doesn't look engaged. He doesn't use his size and his strength to his advantage. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of fire coming out of Chris Kreider. So uh, again, I have to say, based on the nine points in seven games, and when you compare it to some of the things that his teammates did or did not do in this series, I have to say, you know, Chris Kreider did a good job for the Rangers in the playoffs, but you're always left wanting more when it comes to Chris Kreider. And uh, I know I felt that way when the series ended, and I I'm assuming that probably a lot of other Ranger fans probably felt that way as well. Because again, he just, he just didn't really show up along with a lot of his teammates in games four, five, and seven. Uh, that will pretty much do it today, though. Like I mentioned earlier in our next episode for the Everydayers, uh, we're going to be back here talking about all the big takeaways, all the big talking points from uh, Media Day, Media Exit Day, Interview Exit Day, whatever it's called. I can't think of the exact term right now. I'm not even sure if it has an exact term, but bottom line, the Ranger players are all being interviewed pretty much as we speak right now uh, by New York reporters, media members, the whole nine yards. And uh, like I said, I'm sure there's going to be some uh, pretty big talking points coming out of that. And we're going to break them all down in the next episode of Locked On New York Rangers, which of course is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And if you would like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. And definitely subscribe to Locked On New York Rangers YouTube channel. Thanks again, guys. I will see you next time.